Live from the Star Worldwide Network Studios, it's time for Spirituality for Everyday Living with Melinda Vale. As the medium who makes a difference, Melinda and her guests discuss practical spirituality and how it makes an impact on our everyday lives. And now, here's your hostess, Melinda Vale. Hi, I'm Melinda Vale, and I am so happy to have you with us today so I can introduce my special guest, Mary Jo West. Now, you know Mary Jo is known as the first lady of TV news here in Phoenix, but to me, she is so much more. She has shown emotional fortitude and courage. She is the true essence of spirituality, everything I teach. She is a giver. She's a philanthropist. She is all of these wonderful things besides being an award-winning TV Journalist, thank you for joining us, Mary Jo. Melinda, it's such an honor to be with you today. Uh, I've talked with people whose lives you have literally changed, and I believe in you. Oh, thank and you, Mary it's jo. such an honor. I was so excited when you <laughs> thank invited you, Mary me. Thank you, Mary Jo. Well, you know what? We have a mutual admiration society here, so I want to talk to you about what it was like for you in the beginning of your career because it wasn't so much fun, was it? <laughs> Uh, no, <laughs> but uh, we turned it into fun in that um, I came along, the timing uh, was during the 70s when women were in broadcasting, but we wore short little skirts and did sport, sports and weather, and we did the grocery store stories and the baby stories, but we didn't do that really, those meaty stories that the men did. Mm-hmm. And so when I had my first huge job in Phoenix, I was with a man named Bill Close, who was the dean of, of uh, Phoenix Broadcasting, mm-hmm. and very popular, but not real sure what to do with this woman next to him, girl almost is what he called me, half his age. So it was tough at first. It really, really was. And in my other jobs in South Georgia and North Florida, uh, constantly uh, being harassed, I remember covering a very corrupt Sheriff Futch in Valdosta, Georgia. And he cornered me in the bathroom and he said, you're not going to say bad things about me, are you, honey? Mm -hmm. Like that. So I was constantly getting those kinds of remarks uh, especially from men. Mm-hmm. So it was not easy at first, but uh, like you, we persevere. Yeah. And um, I learned from Bill, and I really want to praise him for that because it wasn't all negative. Mm-hmm. Bill taught me grammar. Bill taught me uh, how to sort of put on a tough exterior. It didn't completely work. Mm-hmm. And Bill knew Arizona politics like the back of his hand. Ah. You know, it's an interesting journey that you've had because after you started here, you went on to New York. Yes. And you did a show in New York. I did. I lucked out and was one of the anchors on a show called Night Watch. Some of you mothers out there, older mothers, may remember watching in the middle of the night. We were on from 2 to 6 a.m., and we were competing with this upstart guy named uh had I've just forgot Ted's last name. Help me, Pat. Ted, what? Uh, Ted Turner, of course, started CNN. Boy, mm-hmm. bleh, it's called Brain Fade. And uh, no one thought that CNN would do a good job, but they were wrong. Ah. So then the other networks started their own in the middle of the night programs, and I was one of the anchors of that premiere show called mm-hmm. Night Watch. Mm-hmm. Did you find it uh, different for you in New York? Did you get a different kind of a welcome when you were in New York than you did in Arizona? That's a very good question. In 
Phoenix, I felt like the girl next door. Lots of positive letters and speaking out at Sun City and Sun City West and being part of the community and uh, the staff being teamwork. In New York, uh, it wasn't anyone was rude. It was just it felt a bit cold, Mm -hmm. both from the staff and also from the viewers. You just feel alienated when you're going out to the whole country Mm -hmm. instead of the Valley of the Sun. Mm -hmm. But I'm so glad I did it. It's on my resume. Mm -hmm. But working from 2 to 6 a.m. did bad things to my body. Oh, I bet it did. (laughs) Because when you have sleep deprivation, it can lead to all kinds of things. You know that. Yeah. And uh, that has been something that you have shared before, that the sleep deprivation really hurts your your normal cycle of of living and cause you to have some depression and anxiety. Yes. Uh, You know, talking about clinical depression was unheard of decades ago. And right at the top of my career in Phoenix, I had the horrible, horrible experience of having bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. and was secreted into Camelback Hospital and was treated there. But you never talked about it. It Mm -hmm. was, there's no words to describe it. So once through the years that I... I got treated and felt like my old self again. I went on Oprah Winfrey show and mm-hmm. told my story and told it any time that I could. And to this day, I still meet with people who may have a spouse who is depressed or manic mm-hmm. or a child. That's my ministry. Mm. I have a child that has bipolar disorder or oh PTSD. Yes. I'm not sure which. which yeah. um, he's been doing ketamine, which has really been helping him. Oh, God. But, you know, this is something that we've got to take out of the closet. We've got to take mental yes. health awareness out of the closet oh, and start discussing it. We could talk about this all day. Oh, my goodness, yes. And oh. it goes hand in hand with spirituality, really. Of course. Because it's a three-legged school, stool, your physical body, your emotional body, and your mental body, oh, right? And so spirituality helps you to move that energy around and to to find balance, doesn't it? Well, what I try to tell people is they go, I'm never going to take drugs. Well, I'm glad that I did because, Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I had to go through five to get to the right one uh, back then. But uh, I will be taking medication the rest of my life. But I got my life back. Mm -hmm. And I I love talk therapy. I think it's great counseling. Mm -hmm. But... If it had just been the talk therapy and not the the uh, medication that causes the serotonin to get to my brain in the mm-hmm. right way, mm-hmm. I would still be very, very ill. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you shared that. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, sure, hon. From a mediumship standpoint, what I'm getting is that you're, you know, maybe your father is trying to tell you that he's sorry that he drank quite a bit, had an alcoholic vibration and i think he died in a car accident young and uh, or um something with a car and he wants you to know that he's very proud of you like he's amazed by you and your fortitude and as am i but i'm glad if you've never heard that from your father before to be the one to tell you that your dad is proud of you and sorry for his behavior do you make all of your guests cry no i don't make all of them cry but I, you know, I will tell you a little story. You know, we share this love of grandchildren. And when my grandson was little, <clears throat> he was playing restaurant, and he asked my name. That's how much his mother goes to Starbucks, right? And I gave him my name, and he said, oh, I've heard about you. And I said, you've heard about me? What did you hear about, Grandma? And he said, well, Grammy, I heard you have a very important job. I said, what's my job, Elliot? He said, well, your job is to take people in your office that are crying, and you make them laugh. Oh, that is so beautiful. Well, I got chill bumps because you hit hit the nail right on the head. My yeah. father died an alcoholic. Uh, 
And on one night when I was anchoring the news in Phoenix, I got the call that he was going across the street in our hometown of College Park, Georgia, and he was hit not by one car but two. Oh, I'm so sorry, Mary And jo. killed. And he had been sober for a year before that but started oh. drinking again. Oh. And they found on him the picture, a picture of me in his wallet. It was a, my picture and maybe one other thing. He was proud. He was proud of me. Yeah. So it may be the first opportunity that he's had to tell you that, you know. I think that you were, he's calling you a Georgia peach. (laughs) Yes, I've heard that before. (laughs) Thank you. Wow. I had no idea this was going to happen. Well, my dad, I love you. (laughs) Daddy loves you too. So um, tell us about your grandchildren, your daughter, like, Holy moly, Mother Teresa. <laughs> Tell us about your interaction uh, with Mother Teresa, meeting Mother Teresa, and what happened with that. What a story that is, Mary Jo. What a blessing that is. I'll try to make this into two minutes. But <laughs> as our guest in the studio know, studio know Pat and Dovey McMahon, this could take forever. Um, I want to say to people that when bad things happen, good things can be right around the corner. Um, My contract was not renewed several years ago from a certain channel in town after I came back from network, and I thought my life was over. It had just begun. Um, I had the opportunity through some Catholic priests to meet Mother Teresa and be on an airplane with her when she was flying from San Francisco to Gallup, New Mexico, to start a Missionaries of Charity home in Gallup, New Mexico. And as we were uh, getting on the plane, we were talking with her, and I was in the process with my then-husband of hopefully adopting a child. I could physically never have children. So as the plane is flying, uh, one thing happens, and then all of a sudden I say, Mother, do you ever allow Americans to adopt children from your orphanages in India? And she looked at me and she said, No, no, no. No, I I can't do it. But then she turned around and she took my hand and she said, Mary Jo, because you love the Virgin Mary so much, I'm going to give you a baby. And that started the process of adopting our daughter, who is now 33 years old, lives in South Phoenix with my three beautiful grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And we got Molly. Uh, We call her Molly. Her real name is Maria Teresa. I can't Mm -hmm. roll my R's. But um, the greatest gift of my life came out of losing this horrible job because had I had that job I couldn't have gone on the trip with the two priests right so what, what can a I wonderful say? story what an amazing story there's something that again I'm getting I'm oh here we go I've got the Kleenex <laughs> ready <laughs> there's something about standing on your two own two feet something that I'm getting from somehow that is a saying of dying on your feet Standing on your own two feet, something about your feet. It's about, I can't believe you. I mean, I do believe you. She said, and I say this quote once in a while to people, I want to die on my feet. That's mother from Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa. You know, we all look forward to retirement and maybe not doing anything. I'm just the opposite. Me too. I, I just I tried retiring for five years, and it didn't work. And I now work at the airport behind the information desk, Not getting me. to tell people where to go all day long. In fact, I was there at 5 this morning. It's a wonderful job because you'd be great at it because you've got to be a social worker and calm people down, and it's the right place, mm-hmm. and it's just part-time. And, you I mean, you do more than work at the airport. Like, you do all kinds of uh, charitable yes. things. You know, we, we happen to go to the same church, and um, tell us about your trip 
to Kenya and that ministry and Mm -hmm. what happened with it. And please tell us about Kenya. Six years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Kenya with a wonderful organization called Global Hope Network International, GHNI. And I went there. They flew me there to do a video for them to put on their website so they could raise more money. And while we were there, we stumbled upon in this tiny village 60 orphans with HIV-AIDS who had nothing. I mean, when I say nothing, I mean nothing. They all slept in one room. There was no uh, bedding on the steel beds. They ate once a day. Mm. It just, the crew and I, we broke down and cried. It broke our hearts. We got close to these orphans, and I went back to the church. I don't think you had come there yet, but uh, our church built them a well. Mm-hmm. And so then fast forward to six years later, and the well was sabotaged. Oh, no. And there's been a three-year drought in the village oh, called no. Gem, G-E-M, next to the orphans. And we went back to try to get the well fixed. And, you know, while I was there, and we are in the process of getting the well fixed, I looked at all these starving people, three years of drought. Can you imagine? They have no food and no water. Now, I'm not a rich, I'm totally rich as when it comes to blessings, but I'm mm-hmm. not a, a woman of, of wealth. But I decided I've got to feed these 500 people right now in this village. Mm-hmm. So one of the uh, people from Global Hope, we, we got in the Jeep and we went and we bought big, big bags of, of flour and grain and rice and cooking oil and brought it back to this village. And these people waited for hours. Mm-hmm. And they put the oldest in the front of the line and then the mothers and the children and, and then the, the men. And uh, it was like the parable of the loaves and the fishes. We just had enough. Wow. And uh, the money that I spent, I had no idea I was ever going to spend it on that, but it was the greatest check I ever wrote mm-hmm. to feed these people, mm-hmm. and it was only going to last for three days. Uh, is there anything that the listeners and viewers can do in order to help out with that ministry? Is there some place that oh, we can sweet. send money? Yes. <laughs> yes. Can you please send some money? <laughs> <laughs> you can go online. It's called Global Hope Network International, GHNI, and then there's they're all over the world. But then there's the Kenya ministry. The Kenya and, ministry. And that's where you can send it to. Their names are Whoopshed and Habiba. And that's the name of the couple that, that we work with there. Wonderful. So, oh, please it was open the best up your checkbooks for that. <laughs> I'll tell you, you, you know, this is what Spirituality 101 is all about is having compassion and caring and ability to connect with people from anywhere. No, you know, it's, right. it's the spiritual thing to do no matter what, you know. And we had a God moment. I call them GMs. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we got back that night to our very humble quarters, for the first time in a year, it started to rain. And it was like God was saying, okay, Yay. let's keep it up. Do it again. <laughs> yeah, that is a God moment, isn't so it, after we, the drought? Whoa. We had a lot of those. That's fantastic. Well, I want to ask you a couple of questions about how you feel about women's rights in today's world. Since you were, you know, a, a person that started to empower women by uh, getting on camera and so on. Do you think we've gone backwards, Mary Jo? No. You think we're going forwards? I do think we're going forwards. I mean, I look in my own industry of of broadcast news. There's a wonderful woman who runs Channel 15. Mm -hmm. Uh, You never saw a female in that position. So we see more females in positions of management, and we see more females, quite frankly, on the air. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some local stations that have more female reporters than men. Uh, When I was at Channel 10 early on in my career, I had no vote 
uh, and now women no do. No voice. And, well, I got a voice. Did you? Because I decided to not just do the grocery store stories. I was the f- first reporter in Phoenix to go behind the prison, the bars at uh, Florence Prison. I did a story on rape. And and I thought, well, if I'm going to be a good reporter, because elderly women had been getting sexually at- assaulted, I went and interviewed the rapist, and no one wow. had ever done that before. Wow. And as my cameraman and I are going into the cell, the guard said, you're on your own. Wow. <laughs> yeah. How did that feel? Like, how did that feel energetically? Like, I was not afraid. I was so excited to get the information out that in this case, according to these rapists, it has to do with anger and rage. It has nothing to do with sex. Control. Yes, of course. Oh, you control. know that. Yeah. And so it was, I'll never forget that interview and, and lucked out because of the great team we had. We ended up winning our first Emmy. And uh, to this day, people still talk about, to me, seeing that interview. Wow, that's amazing. Or interviews, yes. That's wonderful. I think, you know, people... Again, a taboo subject that people sweep under the rug. The statistics are one in four girls or women are sexually assaulted or molested at some point in their lives, and one in seven men. Yes, the men. Yes. They they, they get left out. Yes, they do. I, I agree with you so much. Yeah. And, and it, but it's, it's opening up. We're now talking more about that, mm-hmm. that men get attacked just as, and not as much as women, but they do get attacked. They do. And we must... Uh, uh, use compassion and understanding just as we do with the women. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you were assaulted at some point in your life with a couple of armed teenagers, from what I understand. It wasn't a sexual assault, but it was just as devastating, I feel. I, I should think so. Yeah. I'm sure you had PTSD from it. I was out at um, Thunderbird Hospital. I was attending a class, and I came back to my car and all of a sudden, I'm going back to the class, and four well-dressed teenagers come up to me, and one of them sticks a gun in my gut and sticks me uh, up against the car and says, don't say a, w- a word, lady, get in the car. Well, I, I thought they were teasing. I thought, are you guys doing some kind of drama here? You know, what are you talking about? He did it three more times before I realized he, he meant business, and I looked into his eyes, and I could see he was on drugs. Mm. So uh, he puts me in the back of the car, and, and but the other two, uh, there's three teenagers, four teenagers total, the other two waited before they got in the car, my car, and I made it uh, one of those split-second decisions that could have saved my life. I decided that once one of the teenagers got into the driver's side of the car, keep in mind I'm in the back seat, I was going to scream as loudly as I could and jump out of the car, and that's what I did, mm-hmm. and uh, ran back towards the hospital. Uh, the four teenagers were later caught. The man with the gun went, went to prison for a very long time. And to this day, I still get messages when he gets out. Ah. He's been in and out. Wow. And silent witness, go silent witness. They did a wonderful job. You know, I just, the reason that I mentioned it is I actually listened to you on another podcast right. to, to do a little homework and heard you, you tell this story on that. And, um, I just think you are amazing because you've been through a lot and you still find that fortitude, that grit, that emotional wherewithal, that spirit, the essence of connecting with God to stay on your feet and be an example to other people. I I just think that's so amazing and wonderful that I, I, you know, I'm not trying to say, oh, and this and this and this and this, but I want people to know that, you know, even people that are in front of the camera that are are well-known people have had 
life-altering experiences that yes. we don't know about, and they still show up with a smile on their face and, and try to, to uh, do their jobs well. And I think you've just been absolutely amazing in that regard. Thank you. So I just remember sitting in that back seat, and my daughter at that time was only two, mm-hmm. and I'll, I thought of her, I saw her face, and I had to fight for her. Mm-hmm. And those teenagers had no idea that I was going to fight back. And, and, you know, sometimes women just kind of just do nothing, and men too. Mm-hmm. And I know that fighting back could have gotten me shot in the back, it but I took have. that chance, yeah. and uh, it worked out. Trust your gut on some things. Oh, absolutely, all the time. You know, I was watching an old movie with my grandson, Elia. It was uh, Romancing the Stone or something yes. like that. And he said to me, Grandma, why do those women just sit there and scream and don't do anything? Good point. <laughs> <laughs> the old you movies, right? The yes. old movies where women just don't scream, do anything. Right. They sit and scream and... And in today's world, of course, we have all kinds of ways that women are showing up and showing that they can be superheroes and all that stuff. But Elliot's a sweetheart, I can oh, tell. Oh, yes. Uh, and you have a grandson that's a sweetheart, I feel. So. Well, I've got uh, three grandchildren, uh, two boys. One's 12, oh. and then Summer is a girl, and she's five, and then Emmett is three. Wow. And little, I, I can't little ones. find the words. There's no love like it, is there? <laughs> Nothing. No. Nothing you, like you can't compare it to anything. Nothing. There's no love like it. Nothing. So it's a, it's, I mean, yeah. But it's the 12-year-old I think I'm picking up on. Pretty bright, huh? Pretty, pretty cool <laughs> you kid. Are, she's too good. You're too you're scaring me. <laughs> Does anyone ever tell you that? <laughs> yeah, Sonny was the firstborn, and I try not to show favorites, but Sonny was oh, the firstborn and basketball fanatic, and, and he... The all three of them are great, but yep. he he was my first. Pretty bright, pretty pretty. <laughs> Always, uh, yeah. A kid that's a what what we would call an old soul that comes up with some intrinsic wisdom that you're surprised by. I think sometimes. I know there was a child at school the other day that didn't have a lunch, and the fact that he he gave that child some money to go buy a lunch just that was it for me. That was as good as it gets. Yeah. I mean, we he was listening to his parents. Yeah. and to his grandmothers and grandfathers. So that that shows me the difference between nurture and nature because your daughter is adopted, adopted yes. but you nurtured her to the point where she's an amazingly kind pe- person like yourself, and Thank she's, you. you know, sending that down through the generations. So Thank you, dear. What was the biggest blessing besides your daughter that you feel you've ever had in your life? Like, you know, you, I mean... Who can beat Mother Teresa and and your daughter? But is there another moment in time that you feel so blessed uh, with that you well, want to share? There's so many. You know, God put me in the position I feel to be that first anchor woman because while we did the news, I, uh, in fact, I was one of my friends said you you're a member of the Wounded Birds Society because I would keep collecting all these, she said, wounded birds, Mm -hmm. people who were hurting. And it was just such a blessing to be in that position of power, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. We were coming into people's houses and homes at six, five, six, and ten every night. Mm -hmm. And that was back when there weren't a lot of choices. And I was able to do stories on nonprofits that didn't normally get the attention. Mm -hmm. I remember doing a story on domestic violence. And unfortunately, my anchorman, after I did the series and and all this, he turned and I gave a statistic. He said on the air, that's just not true. Oh, no. I came along in the 70s when things were changing and we Mm -hmm. were able to get more news out that was going to help people's lives. Mm -hmm. So that was to be in the right place at the right time and being in that chair is... Right up there. Yeah, that's 
that's amazing. You know, I I didn't get here until '93. Yeah, I was so, gone. By uh, then. Yeah, yeah, you were you were not doing that by then. But in the '70s, I was having babies, of course, and doing the typical having babies thing. It's it's all <laughs> that's kind of important. Well, I was still in broadcasting, but in a different way. I was running a TV uh, cable station at the city of Phoenix called mm-hmm. Phoenix Eleven, and mm-hmm. broadcasting will always be my first love. Well, you're a journalist, right? Yes, I am a journalist. Yes, you're which a journalist. Is, there's a difference in being a journalist and being a newsreader. Mm-hmm. Because when I was coming along, we I was out in this, the field every single day in 115-degree weather, carrying the tripod most of the time for the photographer, and I don't know how they got through it. And uh, being a journalist taught me so much. And if we didn't get both sides of the story mm-hmm. in equal amounts of time, we would get fired. Mm-hmm. So you have to know that now when I see various networks or whatever (laughs) be biased, it makes me a little crazy. Yeah, and yet you never ran for governor. (laughs) 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 So um, tell us about uh, your relationship with the priest at our church that you, um, were you part of the Pope John Paul uh, visit? Did that, did you know him then or did you, you worked for St. Vincent de Paul, did you not? In- yes, I worked for St. Vincent de Paul the last four years before I retired. And talk about an organization. Talk about they had not had a female in charge for 76 years. And just recently, after the wonderful Steve Zabilski left, uh, Shannon has taken over. And it's great to see, again, women in, in positions of power. And the man that you're talking about is Dale Fuschek, who has had his own set of challenges. Mm-hmm. I stand by him. He He's the pastor of my church out at the Praise and Worship Center in Chandler. If you're looking for a place to to worship, uh, we we have no rules as far as who's accepted. Anyone, all are welcome, yes. which is great. And it's just amazing, isn't it? It's but what's so amazing. great about this church is the reaching out uh, to the various uh, agencies and doing what Christ would do uh, of feeding the poor locally, uh, doing all these amazing things, uh, mm-hmm. and not just meeting on Sunday and feeling good. It's a lack of uh, judgment that I love. There's no judgment. Right. There's no (laughs) judgment. And it's, uh, you know, it's not exactly anything goes, but if you are someone who's had in your past some disappointment, please go to praise and worship. You will not be disappointed by that. The love is palatable. The music is divine. Thank you. Dale Fuchak and uh, boy, he was, you know, Channeling a Baptist minister last week. Out of <laughs> yes, he, I heard that. <laughs> I was out of town and I missed it. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing the way that he speaks and and the understanding that he brings to the people around him. He's just a beacon of light that everyone should be in the ministry that not always are, unfortunately, you know. Well, the great thing about this particular church and other churches throughout our valley is there is no judgment. And uh, we, uh, how do I say this nicely? Um, There is no speech inside the sermons that's going to be ever, ever uh, be hate speech or judging someone else. And your past is your business. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what you've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you come on, come on down. Yeah, and, nothing's uh, misconstrued there. Exactly. Yeah, it, nothing's misconstrued. 
So you were in a play, a Peter Pan play. I have to mention that because we have Mr. <laughs> Pat McMahon in studio here. And well, he wanted you to talk about flying like Peter Pan. Well, what he's talking about, no, my fantasy was to always do Peter Pan. I was not the type. I wasn't, I was too big and blonde. I mean, I just wasn't, I never got the role. But <laughs> uh, what, but when his beautiful daughter came to do it professionally at Gamage at ASU, I did a story on her mm-hmm. and was able to actually fly like Peter Pan does in the production. And it was that was one of the blessed, greatest blessings of my life. Wow. But I have, before getting into journalism, I was on a voice scholarship to Florida State University yeah. and uh, sang opera, studied, and did some professional theater every summer in Atlanta oh, wow. with summer stock. And here, uh, years ago, and I, this will take too long to tell you the whole story, but uh, the Phoenix Theater was getting ready to close, Phoenix Little Theater at the time, and uh, they were going bankrupt. So they decided to try one last show, and it was called Sound of Music. And while I was anchoring, they, they cast me as Maria. And oh, so I wow. think people came to see if I was going to make a fool of myself. But we sold out. We moved to Symphony Hall, and oh. we saved the theater. It was a big we. My goodness, and that is my absolutely favorite all-time movie. Oh, of, course, yeah, of course, of course you would say that, you know, because I love that movie. I, I watch it every chance I, I get, know, you dear. know. So, <laughs> again, another blessing. That yeah. might have been one I could have yeah, answered as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. Who are the people that you remember the most when you were interviewing them? Is there that one person that when you interviewed them that they stick in your your mind about how mm-hmm. uh, the... the uh... This may be a controversial answer for some people. Uh, we were talking about women's rights earlier, but it was Gloria Steinem. Mm-hmm. I was uh, at Network interv- interviewing her for Night Watch, and she came in at 2 in the morning mm. And what she did is she offered me coffee. She kept trying to take care of me. It was wow. so, she didn't know me from Adam. It was so nice. And we were supposed to, uh, the interview was supposed to be 15 minutes. And, it, and eventually, I want to get this right, was turned into about two hours. Wow. And talk about a woman who had been criticized for years and years from mm-hmm. other you know, factions that maybe didn't see her way. She just had so much strength. And now in her 80s, she's still going strong. So that was uh, an interview. Another interview, which is just the opposite, but still funny, was Pee Wee Herman. (laughs) He came on uh, on Night Watch and he refused to come out of character, which made me crazy. Oh, I Even even when he was putting makeup on backstage, he and he crowned me uh, as Miss Atlanta. I mean, he was so gifted. And so I know that he had uh, some bad luck, but hopefully he's still out there doing some acting. Ah, yes, yes. Well, I guess I asked you about, you know, women going backwards and women going forwards because I wondered if the climate in this country is limiting women again, uh, you know, because we seem to have some of that in our political arena. There have been some, obviously, some uh, decisions made at the Supreme Court that some people have used those words, that all the hard work that the grandmothers did back in the 70s, mm-hmm. I know I worked very, very hard to get the ERA passed, and it never mm-hmm. was. And there are days where it feels like we have gone backwards in that regard. In that regard, in I that think regard, so I, I think you're right, but yeah. I don't think it's going to be uh, permanent. I think that the women are going to have a bigger voice than ever, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll see what kind happens. Kind of boomerangs that way when things happen, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it you does. Know, it does boomerang that way, and and uh, I think God is the only being in the world that should be judging us, and the rest of us should 
maybe just mind our own, but you know, it's it's one of those things where it, it seems like there is some movement towards that, maybe limiting us again, and I'm hoping that women will find their voice, and since you were the one of the first voices ever in uh, Phoenix, I just wanted to ask you that question, like what you thought and what you felt about it. Yes, you know? I I was, I've been a little discouraged, but boy, discouragement, whenever I get discouraged, the opposite happens. Mm-hmm. I let myself wallow uh, for a while in pity, and then I get up and I'm stronger than ever. And now we know ways to, with all sorts of ways now that we didn't have before, to, to even fight back harder. I love that. I love that. I give myself three days. Three days, good. Yeah. Wallow days. time. <laughs> Wallow time. Three days, then get yourself back up and get going because right. there's nothing that you can do by wallowing. You've got yeah. to keep making movement, which is obviously what you have done in, in your life. I give my grandmother credit for that. Oh. She ran a restaurant outside Atlanta, Georgia, outside the airport there by herself, and people would line up. And and I love her favorite <laughs> expression. She said, Mary Jo, if, if someone does you wrong, you just spit in their eyes and drown them. <laughs> And uh, I haven't done that yet, but who knows? <laughs> uh, she was a woman ahead of her time, wasn't she? She really was. Yeah. No, she really, really was. She really yeah. is, when I tap into her, somebody that uh, was well-respected for her restaurant and everything she Thank did. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Very well-respected for yeah. that Southern cooking. Yeah, and, and t- telling me something about her feet. Did she have trouble with her feet at the end? She had trouble with walking or trouble with her feet? I. Uh, that was my great grandmother who oh, had terrible, okay. terrible feet. Okay. <laughs> well, hail, hail, the gang's all here, Mary Jo. <laughs> They're all here. I know. Hello, I feel everybody. them all the time. No, great grandmother was always on the phone to the, the feet doctor, foot oh, doctor. Oh, <laughs> she's the one that had the feet issues. Well, they both watch so over you. I, I feel them. You know, they, I do. they I actually know both watch strange. over you, you know. I believe And um, the, the uh, connection to them is still strong for you. Extremely. I think that, you know, while you were being raised, there they felt like there was um, things that they couldn't do that they wanted to do. That's complex. Yes, you're right. I lived with my grandmother for mm-hmm. many years, mm-hmm. and my mother was down the road with my other brothers and sisters, and mm-hmm. it was very complex, but mm-hmm. I never saw it as a problem. Mm-hmm. But I got the best of both both moms, grandmother and mom. Do you know who the Alan or the Alice is around you? Or? Yes, I do. <laughs> you want to tell me who that is? <laughs> Alice Mahoney is uh, my daughter's grandmother. Ah, very I was nice. married to uh, Dick Mahoney, who was our former Secretary of State, uh-huh. and Dick and I adopted Molly through oh, Mother Teresa. Very nice. And Alice was the dominant figure. Hopefully I was too, but the one of the dominant figures in my, my daughter's oh. life. So Alice is always around. Oh, I'm glad that you're getting lots of <laughs> You were just kill, I'm glad you're getting lots of connections today because you and I really, you know, wave I, to each other we don't know and each other. say hello and you know, we really don't know each other. I'm just privileged and blessed to have you here. But you need I'm- to have your own national, not no offense to Dave, <laughs> Dave Pratt and all this, this wonderful, gosh, this is such a great place, by the way. It is, isn't it? You should be on nationally. Oh, thank you. I mean, you are on internationally with the streaming and other ways. But thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate that. You're amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. She's scaring me, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, have you ever uh, interviewed somebody that you disliked? Uh, Maybe you can share, but maybe if you don't want to share the name, that's fine. But have you ever had a visceral dislike for somebody that you met and had a hard time interviewing them? Like you just felt something. 
I did, yeah. and and it has an interesting uh, ending. It has sort of a good ending. Do you remember? And I'm having a little bit of brain fade. I turn 74 next month. Oh, happy birthday! Uh, thank you. Um, the woman that was in charge or started uh, the process of taking prayer away from school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Madeline, yeah, Madeline Murray, I believe. Yeah, yeah. and. Um, that was Pat giving Pat me that. for anybody who doesn't recognize that voice. <laughs> and so, you know, I was raised Baptist, and she was considered— Oh, were you? My uh, daddy was raised Baptist there also. There you go. And she was considered a villain when I was being raised. So Madeline Murray O'Hare came to Channel 10, and I was asked to interview her. Mm. And I really, really—I'm uh, a, a woman of faith and prayer, and I prayed about it because I did not want to be mean to this woman. I wanted to give her— her right to be interviewed. And Mm -hmm. I did. And I treated her with respect. I treated her kindly. And at the end of the interview, uh, I was getting ready to leave. And she said, please, I need to talk to you. She said, you treated me with such respect. I never get that. And I just want to thank you. And it's hard today if if I was doing your job and I interviewed someone who was politically maybe not where I wanted to mm-hmm, be. But mm-hmm. I'm so glad that I did that. Mm-hmm. And so to answer your question, yes, Madeline Murray O'Hare was someone oh, that so I was afraid of. Yeah. And uh, tra- she tragically was murdered years later. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It, you know, respect is such an important part of relationships. And, you know, we have this idea that respect is just for a teacher, a priest, a spouse, um, but we really need to respect strangers. Absolutely. We need to respect other cultures. We need to respect other countries. We need to respect each other's opinions. I just made a silly joke, but it doesn't mean I don't respect, you know, somebody who's trying to make a difference in this world, no matter what their background is. Respect is is so essential in oh, spirituality. Melinda. Oh, it is, Melinda. And I want us to get back to the time where the word statesman, and maybe that's now a sexist word, statesperson, statesman was a beautiful word. I know my, my former uh, father-in-law, Bill Mahoney, mm-hmm. uh, he ran against uh, a very famous man in Arizona who was a congressman named John Rhodes, and they, they've, they ran against each other. But after the campaign, they would still go out and have coffee and talk about their children. And I wish we could do that today. I mm-hmm. wish the hate speech, that's my number one goal these days, is to get rid of the hate oh, speech indeed. in the politics indeed. and talk about the issues without crucifying the person. Indeed. And uh, that's, that's Didn't my Didn't Kennedy hope. and Goldwater have some kind of a friendship behind closed I, doors? I wouldn't be surprised. I think so. I think so. You know, it's just too bad that we are in the state of affairs that we're in right now. I know, so. dear. It's, it's yeah. very sad, but we, we can't give up. Yeah, no, no. Well, we um, <clears throat> are doing something at church called School of Prayer. Yes. And I think that you just said, oh, I'm a person who prays and I, you know, am someone who honors my belief system and so on. And you know how interesting it is that people only pray when they need something <laughs> or they're in trouble or they're afraid and how important it is to pray or meditate or contemplate or do something every day in reference to connecting with God. And do you attribute your your uh, spiritual life with getting you through some of the things, the challenges that we talked about today? Constantly. Absolutely. It's been part of me since my family took me to church the 
the week after I was born. Mm-hmm. And But you don't have to go to church to pray. And I've had rituals all my life of, of meditating. First thing I do when I get up, my feet hit the ground is um, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Mm-hmm. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm constantly not just praying and asking for things sometimes, but also uh, just thanking God, the gratitude. I think we all have to have gratitude. And coming back from Africa just now, I hate to say this, but we Americans are so spoiled and we're such whiners. And if you could see these precious children who have nothing uh, and and these adults who are waiting for some rain, uh, I don't think we would complain as much. But to answer your question, oh, yeah, I have a routine and and, and never want to give it up because if I do, I get into big trouble. Oh, yes. Yes, I believe that because we all the are evil, in big the, trouble if we don't I, have a routine that way. Exactly, and I don't want to get into the devil and all that stuff, but there is some evil sometimes, I feel, right behind me. Well, there are certainly <laughs> and, evil pe- people on this planet, that's for sure. And I just, I just try to stay grateful. Yeah. I always tell people that what happens if you don't brush your teeth? Well, your breath stinks and your teeth fall out. What happens if you don't take care of your spirit? Same thing. You're going to lose that part of you that's so essential in life to make sure that you're on the right track all the time. And you 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 stink if you don't do it. Melinda, that's you know? a beautiful analogy. Yeah. I know that a lot of people criticize Facebook. I love Facebook because I spend a lot of time uh, finding the right perfect quote or whatever I can post that maybe can lift someone up at that moment. Mm-hmm. You never know. So that's a good way uh, to reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so lastly, tell us. I'm afraid. What is she going to say? <laughs> Who's in here? Who's lastly, in the room? And then this spirit is here and that spirit is here and that spirit is here. <laughs> But um, talk to me about fortitude, grit, emotional perseverance, and how you were able to find that within yourself, all these uh, challenges that you've had in your life. Is that, again, from your spirit? Is it something your mom taught you, your grandmother? Was it passed down through generations? Were you born that way? Like, how does that happen for people? Wow. Uh, I think it's all of the above. Mm -hmm. Uh, My grandmother had the grit. My great-grandmother had the grit. Um, just, I know that there were times when I wanted to sleep in on a Sunday morning, my grandmother coming and standing over me saying, you know, God has given me the energy to get through the week and work, and now let's get up and go to church and those kinds of things. But there is something inside of me, and I don't know how to define it, Melinda, I don't, that is just always there getting ready to hopefully fight the next fight in a, in a, without hurting anybody. But does right. that make sense? I just, it's, it's been there since I was four years old. Okay. I don't know where I got it, but I still have it. <laughs> and uh, it's one of my, I think it's one of my greatest gifts. And if we see it as a gift, that fortitude. I'm, and when I was in the darkness of clinical depression, and that'll be another story or another show, hopefully, uh, when you're in that darkness, you don't want to live. Right. And and I I feel, again, being a woman of faith, the alternative was not the answer. Right. My son went to his sister, who is a, a social worker, 
and said, I'm not going to make it if you don't do something. And she took him and put him in the hospital. Good. Yeah, I was and in the hospital. Absolutely. In the hospital yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad. How's he yeah. doing? He's amazing. Aww. He's got grit and fortitude. I'm so proud of him. He's well, he just gets it from amazing. You. <laughs> well, I do think we have some generational patterns of it. But I also think, as you said, you know, there's light inside of us and we just can't yeah. let it get too dim. Amen. You I know, love that. We gotta keep fan that light up when we start to feel dim, and that's that place of fortitude, that grit that makes us put one foot in front of uh, the other, which is hard to do if you have clinical depression. It's not the same as circumstantial depression, everyone. Circumstantial depression is something that we all go uh-huh. through if we've had a loss or we've had a divorce or whatever. Clinical depression is everything looks hunky-dory. You got a great job. You're making good money. You got somebody that loves you, and you still can't get out of bed in the morning. That's right. You've got a broken brain, and that's what I tell people. It's it's physiological. Mm -hmm. It's physiological. It's just, you know, when people take medication for heart disease or diabetes, they're going to uh, uh, be okay, and people don't make a big deal out of it. But when people take medication to fix a broken brain, sometimes people resist that. Oh, don't. They don't. Really, don't not only do they it. resist it, but once they start feeling better, they think, I'm better. I don't need it. And you got to take true. it forever. It's I like do. <laughs> being a diabetic and you need to have insulin. You, you know, when you're a type 1 diabetic, yes, you can make yourself get better from type 2 and not have to take medication, but not type 1. That's it's right. the same thing. It's a brain chemistry issue. Exactly. So, exactly. Well, my gosh, you know, um, you're mm-hmm. such a light. You're such an example. You're so amazing. I, I'm Give sorry I wasn't in Phoenix in 1976 <laughs> so I could watch you and, well, and have cheered you on. Um, and I, I am so glad to be able to make this connection with you because we do just see each other and kind of wave across the church. I know. And so thank you so much, Mary Jo West, for everything that you have shared with us today. And thanks to you and Bill and uh, your wonderful staff here. And uh, I hope our paths cross again real soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And this is Spirituality for Everyday Living. Have a great day.